Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. show this is talk easy i'm sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here this week on the program is singer songwriter corinne bailey ray born in leeds the british songstress came into public consciousness in early 2006 when she dropped her debut record the self-titled sensation was an intoxicating mix of r&b soul and jazz as if marvin gay amy winehouse and erica badu all stepped into the sound booth and merged voices Songs like Till It Happens to You and Call Me When You Get This revealed Corinne to not only be a dynamic vocalist, but a skilled songwriter. The public immediately paid attention. The record premiered at number one, making her only the fourth female British act to do so. The smashing hit you probably heard on your radio a thousand times, put your record on. In the aftermath of the record, Corinne received three Grammys, 
critical acclaim, and an excited fan base. She appeared as a musical guest on SNL. She went on tour around the world. She was the new emerging artist to watch. And then tragedy struck. On March 22, 2008, Corinne's late husband, Jason Ray, a musician himself, was found dead in their apartment in Leeds. It was later reported to be a misadventure caused by a bad mix of drugs. For Corinne, life stood still for a while. As someone who's been listening to Corinne since I was in middle school, there are many parts of her story I've been interested in, like how she writes such tender love songs, lyrics that capture the frustration of intimacy, of giving yourself to someone entirely without receiving reciprocation, or how she managed to work through the darkness of death and continue onward, both in music and in love. Corinne was open to everything and everything in this conversation you're about to hear. Her latest record has a rather fitting title, The Heart Speaks and Whispers. I'm just glad she spoke up about her own. But first, we talk about performing on stage, always with a smile. So, here is Corinne Bailey Ray. I wanted to start with, in preparation, I was watching videos of you performing. And something that stuck out to me is that you're always smiling in every single performance. Right. How? It's funny because I, it's something I only just noticed myself because uh, our tour manager's really good at taking pictures. And he'll, you know, sometimes like for Instagram, we'd be like, oh, let's do a post because you were just in Singapore or whatever. And he'll show me... 20 pictures on that and I always say I look like I'm having such a good time and it's it's something I, I feel like I'm really unaware of how I am externally when I'm performing and to me that's really important because I feel like I'm not a sort of natural performer in the sense that I was never like that five-year-old kid that was like mommy watch me <laughs> you know or being at a family gathering and trying right. to get everybody's attention that's definitely not me like when I have, when you have to do those kind of board games at an event where it's like stand up and mimes so and so it's like I'm always just like oh, I you really don't want to do this I'm okay at it but it's not like when it's my turn I don't think oh brilliant I get to like make a fool of myself in front of all these people but I always find singing to be you know a really sort of natural thing and something that comes out of I feel like I just kind of go into this different place and I really get lost and I sometimes forget people are there and it just becomes this really like uh, not out of body experience is the wrong way to describe it but I feel like it's almost like you just become sort of super present so I'm not thinking like how does this song go what's this chord mm. what are they thinking like I might be thinking that at the start of the show and there's always a point a few songs in depending how fun the show is or much later where it kind of switches and you're like oh now I'm sort of in the in the thing so yeah when I see the pictures of myself and I'm really smiley or I'm doing like weird gestures or something it's definitely not a conscious thing um I remember when we when I met Prince years ago and he was in Abu Dhabi we were both doing shows around the Grand Prix and we watched his show and then we we went to this after show thing and he and he said to us hey do you want to come like uh backstage and watch the show and I was like 
what he's doing another show mm. now but what he was doing was watching back the entire show he wanted to rewatch it he wanted to rewatch it it was a two hour show mm-hmm. But, you know, he had a huge big screen in his hotel room. And his thing was, I'm trying to beat that guy. Like, how can I be better than the performance I just gave, which I just admire so much. And for me, I just find excruciating to do. Like, I'd really hate to watch myself. To me, I don't want to be on the outside of what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. looking in. I don't want to think oh, when I do this, this is what it looks like. Or, but but he was the, obviously the opposite of that and wanted to know, did these splits look good? Was that spin clean? Was the way I grabbed the guitar really uh, careless and mm-hmm. carefree? And and I really sort of admired that about him. So I think there are certain perf- performers who really want to study what they look like on the outside, and I am not one of them. But you're most comfortable in front of like thousands of people. I feel com- I do feel comfortable. I guess I feel comfortable doing my own work because I think, well, I know this stuff. I know the people I'm with, and um, you know, I guess by the time you've got to like another place in the world and there's a couple of thousand people there or whatever, they obviously wanted to be there. That that's what took me a while when I first started performing. It's like to realize, oh hey, these people paid to see me. Yeah, it's like they know the songs, they know what I'm like. They're not going to be thinking, oh, this isn't very. X and Y, you know, they're not going to be like, where's the guitar solos? Or what? You know what I mean? They just like... Why isn't this a Metallica concert? Exactly. They signed up for you. Yeah. So I think that gives you a lot of freedom. It's like, oh, they know what to expect. It's just the thing that I can do. So that does make me more relaxed, I guess. Mm. Where in that timeline uh, do you feel comfortable with yourself as a musician? Because your first album comes out in 2006, it's the self, you know, the self-titled record, and it immediately blows up. It didn't it debut at number one, which is like yeah. the fourth time that's happened by a British yeah. artist. It was so crazy. I feel like, I mean, in terms of saying when am I comfortable with being a musician, I feel like I'm never sort of at that point. I feel like I'm always really critical of stuff that I do I can always hit all the flaws in all the things I do that's partly why I would hate to watch back what are the flaws things I do oh well I mean I can't tell you can it because then the secret will be out but you know there's de- there's things that I want to do better I want to be a better singer I want to be a better sing- songwriter I want to be a better guitarist I want to relate to the audience more concisely mm-hmm. you know I want to be freer so any moments where I feel like those things aren't as strong as it could be I'll just be like oh you know that's all I will see maybe like 10 years later like I watched a live thing I did from years ago when I had like short hair and it was it was playing this radio station I was like oh look at that I was like oh that looks like such a cute girl and it sounds really nice and oh there were strings and but I remember I could not watch that for like... I mean, mm-hmm. that's the first time I've seen it in like 10 years or something. And I was like, oh, it was really nice. So maybe in 10 years, I'll look at the stuff I'm doing now and think, oh, yeah, that was good. But well, that's how people did approach you in 2006 and seven. They're like, oh, who is this nice-looking <laughs> person with the strings arrangement? And it, it was unique. Thank you. Yeah, it was... I guess it's that thing you have no sort of perspective over yourself and um, I really enjoyed getting to make that record because my background had been sort of indie music, you know, playing guitar in an indie band, you know, in a pub, 
often having to really sort of raise my voice to be heard over lots of guitars. And then when I got into the studio for the first time and making that record, I realised like exactly how intimate you could be. You could put in the headphones, you could get really close, you could whisper. It's like, well, this is really, there's a, there's an intimacy that I like about it that I could bring into the songs. I can make them playful. I could make them like you confiding in a friend or talking to a lover or... So that kind of brought... It kind of almost... Well, it shaped, definitely shaped the songs that I was writing because a lot of times I was kind of writing them in a studio environment, you know, with different producers that I was working with. I felt like... Um, my manager at the time was trying to find me like the guy who's the guy that's going to be your sort of songwriting partner um but it was very lucky because i managed to write lots of different things with lots mm. of different people and and that was fun to do um you know in those days which was like 2005 or 4 it's really expensive to get studio time you know it wasn't like now where you can just like have a laptop and a sound card and you're good to go so my manager was trying to find me ways of re basically recording without any money. He had no money. I had no deal. And so it was like quite a fun time kind of trying to, trying to win people over. You know, I had like a star and I had one or two other songs and we'd kind of just go around and be like, hey, do you like these? <laughs> can, can we come to your studio? Can we like try something out? Eventually someone gave in. Yeah, yeah. So there was a few people that, that sort of gave in. There's a few nice people in London. There was a really great guy called Steve Chrysanthal who lived just outside Leeds, where I'm from. And his wife had an art shop. She does these, like, super realistic, large drawings of, like, lions and zebras and big cats and stuff. Um so she would always be doing like pastel work upstairs like all these kind of stylized animals and then downstairs he had this tiny studio with like foam on the walls and mm. a desk and it was a makeshift studio yeah. yeah yeah it was but it, that was our little world underground with no windows and and we just kind of hung out there and and did a, quite a lot of recording there you pinpointed the uh, aspect of the album that i think still has it's when i listen to it now it's the intimacy of it oh thank you. it's it's a record uh my first memory of like ever being really sad about a girl was that song till it happens to you oh oh that's so sweet yeah but there's a little truth in between the words we spoke it's a little late now to fix a heart that's broken Please don't ask me where I'm going Cause I don't know No, I don't know Anymore It used to feel I noticed in a lot of your songwriting, you're really good at writing love songs ab about love and that like most of the time it's painful. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. And I felt like I'd sort of experienced this 
amount of pain in love because I was married to this amazing guy who also had this sort of drinking problem that would kind of come up when you least expected it, you know, so you'd just be like really happy and everything would be going really great and then you would have some kind of appointment and you would expect them to be there and, they, you know, like he wouldn't be there. Would it be like a, like a self-sabotaging situation? I think he, he, was, um, he was a really brilliant musician and a really fun, like, um, spontaneous person. You know, his, his favourite thing would be, like, to meet up with friends and think you were just, I don't know, having a band rehearsal and then, like, ten hours later it's just turned into this massive party and loads of people have arrived that you didn't expect and you've gone into town and you've were going to a club and one of your friends was playing and then you got to go on stage and then it was an amazing jam and and then there was this weird club that was open till, till 4 a.m. yeah right. till 4 a.m. and then there was this mad house party and there was all these people and he he would really he was really responsive and he really liked to sort of just go with whatever was happening so but where yeah did, where did you fit into that well i guess for a lot of it, I was kind of there and having a really good time. And then I guess after a while, I didn't want to sort of do that all the time. And it was like the unpredictable nature of it. So I think sometimes, I mean, I think every love relationship has got its kind of corners where you've sort of let someone in so close and then it's like this scraping pain. Um, but yeah, there was definitely times where I felt, you know, like let down or... Yeah, just kind of sad, and and then you know, if you're with someone who has kind of addiction problem, they're really sad too. They're really sad that it went wrong. Mm-hmm. So you're sort of like dealing with that. Like, well, it's the sadness also of feeling like he was burning you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I felt like I mean, and I always feel this like you know, I love writing love songs, but I like to put in that complexity because I think really any relationship is like that you know you get parents who just love their children and their children let them down and hurt them and disappoint them and then you get you know same relationship with your parents where people you know you can feel I don't know some people feel stifled or there's too much pressure or too much expectation or what mm-hmm. whatever it is you know I think every every love relationship has got its kind of barbs and you're so unprotected you know, it's not like if a guy in the street was rude to you, just be like, eh. You don't know. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. But when someone's like in that intimate part of your heart, it can be really painful. That that line about, um, I'm not going to sing it for you here. Yeah. <laughs> but the, like, um, remembering like being in the kitchen when oh, I yeah. was there. Yeah. I think that's my favorite line. Because, oh, but thanks. that whole song is about, to me, uh, remembering something that, existed not too long ago but yeah. is now not there yeah exactly it's like which is uh, the worst it's always the yeah. worst when that happens it's like it was what happened how can we get back to there right. and the we're answer in, is you can't we're still in this kitchen but it's not the same anymore yeah exactly and that's like the the poignancy of those of those kind of songs isn't it it's like it's so it's within touching distance and you know that the two of you can do it because you have done it yeah because you've done it but why aren't you doing it now what's changed have they changed have you changed as the circumstances change if something goes really wrong can you fix it you know you can never go back in a relationship can you they just be like a new good or a new mm. but 
yeah I think sometimes in relationships if things go really wrong there's always like that sort of scarring is kind of there it doesn't go away yeah I think it, it gets like it can fade I think but it, it can fade yeah it can fade but it doesn't ever compl- <laughs> it can't be washed off though. yeah you can't rewind can you how did yeah. he respond when the album came out I mean and not only to your success but there's a lot of songs about waiting for your partner to, to meet you halfway or like yeah. wait, waiting for things to be work, worked out sometimes I, it's so funny I think sometimes like did he see it did he did he see that did he get it I think some of the response you are you know, asking me if he listened yeah. to it <laughs> no no he definitely listened to it and you know Jace was a saxophone player so we, like we toured that record together and stuff and um, but I think sometimes you know you've got that thing where if you love someone and then everyone's like is the song about them and you're just like well you know the songs are just like a range of experiences and it can be really vague and you know so I wouldn't have necessarily been like here this is this is everything this is you you know I I know we've been having problems but here's this song I made exactly exactly and you know and a lot of the time we were just like happy and it was really fun and so I think most of our experience of that record coming out and most of his experience was probably a combination of I've all you know from his point of view he had it's like I've always believed in you I loved your band I really I've always wanted you to do well and now this, all this stuff is happening and it's so exciting combined with like you're always away you're never at home this is weird or we go to parties together and everyone wants to talk to you and people don't necessarily want to talk to me and that's weird you know that is a weird thing we would sometimes be at shows together and you know, people would want a photo and then it's like, oh, can you sort of step to the side? And that's like an, a horrible thing to happen. And now I'm more... How do you work that out? I guess um, you sort of know that all that's... Like, that's well, What I always say to new artists is like when you're in that initial whirlwind where like everyone wants to know you and you have to remember like, oh, this is going to last about 18 months and then it'll, it'll be done. So you're sort of almost ca- counting down. Yeah, because you feel this thing, you're like, oh, my life has changed forever. Um, but it sort of hasn't. It's just kind of changed for that phase. And, you know, then you have a phase where you can go away and you can write some more and you've got a different hairstyle and people don't really recognize you. And it's kind of like, it goes in phases. But that's why I always say to artists when they're just like, oh, this is so different. I'm like, yeah, it's different now. And then it probably will be not so different again. Mm-hmm. And then it might be different again. It's like, it's not like this is the new normal. You can't walk down the street sort of thing. I mean, maybe it is for like a Beyonce. Right. But yeah, for a lot of people, not so much. When put your record on blew up like that, did it make sense to you? I think, I would think none of this, none of the stuff you really can predict at all. You know, sometimes I write a song and I think, oh, I hope people are going to like this. I, I feel this. I and then it just, like, will kind of disappear. Right. And then there's other times when you do something like Put Your Records On was just kind of felt like a fun, you know, up-tempo song. I remember finishing the words on the train going over to the studio. Just like, oh, I've got to record this today. And um, That's the one that blows up. Yeah. I, and you just I never know. I yeah. had a feeling like, well, that's, that's, I feel like that's true of a lot of people in different disciplines. It's like... The time you, the, 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 the piece that you spend days or weeks or months on, people are like, yeah, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then you write this thing that you wrote, you know, in an hour, and all of a sudden 
it blows yeah. up. And it's almost like maybe the immediacy of how quickly the idea comes to you maybe. means that it is like a fast arriving idea. And I don't know, I sometimes think ideas are kind of out there for everyone. And it's just whoever kind of gets there first. You know, I've definitely heard songs on the radio and thought, oh, I was writing something really like that. And now I'll have to stop because it, that one already is kind of done. So, um, but yeah, I, I was just really happy. I, I remember doing the video we did in South Africa in this vineyard. I remember doing the um, auditions for the girls beforehand. And I was like, I really want this diverse cast of girls, which was really easy in South Africa because it's very sort of multi-ethnic. And I remember getting those bikes. And the first bike they put me on was like a Schwinn, which doesn't have brakes. You have to pedal backwards to stop it. It's like, there's no way I'm going round a vineyard on loads of hills in the boiling hot sun with no brakes doing a video and the camera was on a truck just ahead of us so it's like if you didn't stop in time it's really sort of serious like crash there was a few near sort of pile-ups that happened (laughs) and a few girls who had obviously written on the cv yes i can ride a bike right and then when it came to it you're like what's a bike where's that girl going you know it'd be like the cutest girl like she wouldn't it's like, oh, you obviously can't write. But we're going to be on bikes the entire time. There is no, like, dance portion. Mm-hmm. But I remember it being the first time that I had seen anyone hear the song that I didn't know. Like, it, or, or the only people that had heard it, maybe, like, the label, me and Stephen John, who wrote it together, the musicians who played on it. And suddenly it was like, you know, a sound guy and a, the dresser and the makeup artist. And they were all like yeah, I really like this song. Yeah, I'm going to buy this when I get home. Yeah, I'm, and like the girls would be sort of singing it and I'd think, how oh, that's... I mean, obviously on a music video, it's like played 200 times that day, but I remember thinking, oh, it's kind of going in and people would, you know, make a point of saying, oh, I really like this song and I'd think, oh, that's good, I guess that's good. I hope people like it. It's a weird thing when you make music and then you realise, oh, no, people... There's going to be a moment when people either are like, yay or nay like thumbs up or thumbs down and it was nice to get a thumbs up for that mm. song but it is confusing it's like yeah. it's like I just I, this is not the, the thing that you said about ideas is true um, but I, and this is my there's no logic to any of this but there is a theory I have which is like look how the Beatles did it like the Beatles produced albums once every year and a half so they, crazy. they would record like every six months and that's just not the timetable anymore. Yeah. But there is something to the idea that ideas come and go. They're ephemeral. Yeah. And if you can capture it, then maybe it'll happen. Yeah, exactly. And I think some some really good writers say, you know, ideas, it's like a stream and you just have to kind of dip your thing in and get something yeah. out. And not to feel like it's this kind of finite resource. and like, oh, the ideas are running out and panicking and stuff. Um, going yeah. with it is it is it ever hard for you to just go with that stream I enjoy going with the stream and I enjoy the thing of being on my own and sitting wherever it is and playing my guitar or playing the piano or humming a little song or sitting on a train and writing stuff down or waking up in the night scribbling random stuff down and then you can't even read it in the morning but in the night it was like the best song and then in the morning it's just a bunch of scribbles I love that. I think what I'd find harder is writing with other people because I'm quite self-conscious. So 
I mean, I'm definitely getting better at it, but I've had experiences, like excruciating experiences of just being in a room with people and thinking, especially if they're like massive and they've had loads of hits and then you're like, what if I can't think of something good? What if they don't like it? And uh, I'm getting a little bit better at that Mm -hmm. now, just thinking, well, let me just say what's kind of on my mind. But Plus your songs are, are personal. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So sometimes you're like, I don't want this person to know this feeling that I'm experiencing or whatever. So it's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. you're letting them in. It almost seems like you're letting them in to like a diary entry. Yeah, yeah. And you're just like, actually, I don't need to know, or 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 letting you, letting them into your sort of pro, thought process, you know. So yeah, I, I do really enjoy writing on my own, and I, it's always a challenge to write with other people, and sometimes it, it pays off and you get a good result and sometimes you do something you wouldn't have done which I really like the 18 months after 2006 uh, how did you manage after that um well after yeah I guess after the record came out it was just really busy and really fun lots of interviews lots of traveling going to countries I've never been to before were the interviews fun the interviews were fun because it was totally novel, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, this is weird. And and also just that thing, like, I'm not from a wealthy background, so I haven't really traveled, you know, so I hadn't been on, I mean, I'd been to Seattle, I had friends here, but like, I hadn't been, I'd never been to like France or Germany, mm-hmm. Germany or Spain or... By the way, for, for record's sake... Seattle and France are almost never thought of as like <laughs> I haven't been to Seattle I haven't been to yeah. France oh god my life is a mess yeah I'm but I'm glad that you like Seattle I really liked Seattle so I was like oh yeah I've been to America I've been to Seattle but you know <laughs> like before my album came out I hadn't been to New York I hadn't been to Paris I hadn't obviously been to Tokyo and so to me it was just like I can't believe I get to go to all these places when I get there, I can't believe people already know my songs, you know, because I'd been in live in a live band for it so long, like an indie band where if you're in an indie band in your hometown, you know everyone who knows you because you sort of recognize them from the last show you did to like a hundred people. Right. It's like it's them, it's these people I know from school, it's like their friends. Friends of friends. Oh, exactly. I dated that person. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, these these people are in a band and they're just there to like see what we're doing and disapprove of it or whatever so it was a very kind of small scene and that was a weird thing about you know going to south africa or or japan and just hearing people sing along it's like oh yeah the music's already gone it's on the radio that is just it was mind-blowing but even like you say about doing interviews it would be eating in an amazing restaurant, you know, which I hadn't really done a lot of, you know, trying food. Like, I didn't know what Prosecco was. I didn't know what prosciutto was. Like, I didn't, I hadn't really drank that much coffee and I would sometimes be like matching people, you know, drink for drink or, you know, they'd have the sort of 1am espresso and I'd be like, I'll have one too, please. And I didn't realise I was totally intolerant to caffeine until... I think until I was making my second album, I started having like heart palpitations. What would happen? You're, you would just not. I was working it? with a producer who s- smoked cigarettes and probably weed. So it's like we would have a break every like 47 minutes. And when he would smoke his cigarettes, I would have like a cup of green tea. And by the sort of seventh break, I was just like, you know, just like. I remember going around to see my sister saying, I feel like I need to peel my skin off. I was like, 
so uncomfortable. And then I was like, oh, maybe it's caffeine. And I just like haven't drank it. Since. How are you with drugs, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I think I just, I never got onto drugs because I was like, hey, I can't really drink tea. There's not, yeah. you know, it's not working out. If, if you're having problems with tea. <laughs> yeah. The other stuff maybe. Do not try speed. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's what they should write on the tea label. <laughs> this is affecting you. Yeah. If you like this, you won't like it. Yeah. <laughs> but things were going well. I mean, things still are going well, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean? They were, in the, they were in the throes of that initial success that happens. Yeah. If it happens for yeah. an artist. Yeah. I was, it was definitely a really fun time. I enjoyed it a lot. How did you, you know, um, reconcile with then what happened in 2008. How does that fit into this? I guess, um, you know, losing Jason was a thing that just sort of came completely out of the blue. And in a way, it was... I didn't really think of it in relation to my sort of career right. at all, you know. Yeah, I, let me rephrase that. Yeah. Not, not in relation to your career, more of um, thinking about your headspace in yeah. that moment. I guess what I felt was... I don't know, it's almost like one of those films where everything's going so great for the couple. I I remember being on the phone to him and saying, because he was on tour with Mark Ronson, and I was just like, you know, we've got all these possibilities, and I I finished my work, and, you know, we can do what we want, and things are happening for you, and you play on stage with, like, you know, Lily Allen and, you know great rappers that you've always loved and Amy Winehouse and you love Mark and it was just like you know that sort of 80s kind of like um, you know that song from Mannequin or something it's like nothing's going to stop us now that sort of thing where you're just like gee what's next are we going to like buy a house in France are we going to travel are we going to go and live in New York this is such a dream we just bought a home we bought, bought like a, you know, like a decent side house. And it was just like, wow, this is so great. This is amazing. This is our dreams come true. And this is a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Have. You know, just sort of sort of realizing it. And I guess for me also trying to bring that perspective to him because I think he always, he was just like a big thinker and would always think about like things going wrong or what wasn't right or just existential angst in general he's just a clever thinky person so it's really hard for him to be like here we are we're happy he's like yeah but there's people mm. starving in the world it's one of those like it was hard, it hard to be happy right. hard because, to accept you know, happiness hard to accept happiness do you deserve happiness mm. what about everyone else in the world um you know and i am like that to a certain extent but I felt like I had to be a sunnier person in a way to try and like help him not sink, you know, sink too much into that. But yeah, then, so I think we bought our house together in, I think in the autumn and then, yeah, Jason like died in the in the spring. So it was just this kind of complete stop to all our sort of, you know, our life and our dreams. And for me, it, I perceived it as a kind of end stop of my life. You know, it's like the end of my life. Uh, it, you know, the relationship and that loss sort of dwarfed everything else. I wasn't thinking like, oh, but I've got this music. And, you know, I remember getting a few letters from people and, the, the, you know, it would almost be like, I hadn't heard from them in a couple of years. And they were almost, it was almost this weird 
congratulations on and sorry about oh. combination. And I remember just being like, like tearing these letters up, you know, like, it's like, what does it matter to me at this moment, whether this music has been successful when I've, in, in my, in my world, it's like, I've lost everything. I'm 29. My life is mm-hmm. over. And I definitely felt like, oh, this is, you know, this is kind of the end of my life. And I kind of felt like, well, it's okay. I've had a really good life. You know, I was like, I've had a good life. I can't imagine having, doing more of this because it's sort of agony. It's like, how will I, how will I sort of do more of this, of being alive? I took my life really for granted. Um, but yeah, it was just, it just felt like the end. It just felt like the end. And then, it, and it sort of was the end because I, just really sort of stopped and didn't do anything and I had really good friends I had really good friends and really good family and I just kind of it's like I didn't have to work so my days were free every day was just sit around would talk, you stay at home? To, yeah I sit at home loads I sit at home loads and I had loads of really good friends and they would just kind of hang out we would just hang out some would cook and I might eat, I might not, I might have a shower, I might not, I might get dressed, I might not. They were like the big things of the mm. day. And but I would just like talk to people. There were no certainties. Yeah, it was just like a weird, it was like an endless time where it felt, you know, in a way, like one year for like 10 years or something, you know, it just was like a day would last so, 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 so long. And I just think, oh, how can I do, how can I do, like, years of these, yeah. you know? And you don't realise, like, it's not going to be years of those. It's going to be, it's going to be different, but it takes a really, I think grief, especially grief when it's a shock, you know, like, it's just out of nowhere. I think it's really, even just taking in that it's happened takes a really long time. How did you learn about it? I did loads of reading, and I did, I also learned about it from the process itself so I learned about grief just from grieving and I got really into um etymology you know the, like the root of words and I remember thinking like what does it even mean grief and I remember looking it up and it was the same root as that word gravity and gravitas and so it means like weight mm. you know and when I heard that's like that's what it is it's like it's a weight it's like a physical weight so affects like how heavy your throat feels or how heavy your lungs feel or how heavy your eyes feel how heavy your limbs feel I remember like various family members kind of going to the doctors and saying I just feel like I can't move and I can't I've got these aches and pains and they were just like it's just a it's a physical response to this emotional you know thing that's happened and but so you, I learned you about did it. you did think to yourself I'm not gonna continue yeah I just thought I've had a good life. I just couldn't. I just couldn't imagine the amount of time that's left in a sort of potential life from the point of view of being twenty nine. I was just like, yeah. But then the time just drifted and drifted. But then I just, and then the days just racked up. You know, they just racked up, which is good. You know, the more time you can get past, sort of away from it, the it's like a, almost like a sinkhole. You know, and it's like potentially pulling you into it and it's like the further away you are from it the more you think oh well maybe I will actually survive this thing you know but it's just t- it's like time just mm. time do you remember a day 
in uh, maybe 2009 or the end of 2008 or 2010 where um, there was a moment in the day where you were like, okay, this feels... It's like when uh, it changes from black and white to color. Yeah, I definitely remember... um, I remember being in New York... And I think we must have been mixing the sea, so maybe it was the end of 2009. I remember being in this cafe, and there was this couple came in, this woman who was pregnant, and then she had a little baby, and she was, like, throwing the baby up, and the baby was really joyful. And I remember, like, seeing the baby and being really, like... I don't know, I just had a naturally joyful reaction to this baby, and I was like, oh, what's that? I don't know, I just felt really buzzing for this baby, and... (laughs) And I was like, hey, I am. I feel happy, you know, it's like, I feel uncomplicated happy. And it, it's not like from then on or anything, but, you know, you've, there was like little cracks mm-hmm. in the thing. And that was definitely one I remember. And the fact that it was New York and, and I was working. So I, you know, look at me. I was like, done some things. Right. I'm in New York. It's this cool place. And this baby is making me smile. And it was... Yeah, that was a nice sort of moment. Like life is in motion again. Yeah, yeah, and just like joy exists, yeah. For a while it didn't seem like there was any more joy. No, I just it's just like you, you can't sort of feel anything. It's just like still, you know. I would say to people if they're looking after grieving people, you know, don't say, would you like a cup of tea or would you like some food or because they sort of don't like anything. There's no, like, preference for this meal or that meal. It's like, just put the food in front of them, put the drink in front of them. Like, don't ask them what they want, because the answer is, I want the person who's died to be back alive. Like, there isn't, there's no other desires. There's just that main overriding thing. So I'm always just like, just take care of them and don't ask them anything. Don't say, aren't you cold? in this freezing cold kitchen with no socks on because they won't be able to feel it. Just get them socks. You know what I mean? I had people who did that, get the socks, put the food. Very good. Yeah. I have a theory that um, I think you're just stronger than a lot of people. (laughs) Really? I don't want to undersell that. <laughs> Definitely stronger than me, as you can tell by my uh, nonsense. Uh, I Well, this is my theory. Everyone's really strong, but they don't know. Until they have until to Until they have to be, yeah. And then the sort of life force, which who knows what it is. Is it God? Is it a chain of DNA wanting to replicate itself? Is it your ancestors? Is it all three things? Is it... Is it more than that? There's a thing that's like wants you to keep alive, and you you don't know it until it's just there, just sort of making you alive. That's what I think. I think you're probably right. <laughs> that makes sense. Makes sense. The sea comes out, but it was written um, when your late husband was still alive, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff on there that. Yeah, it was kind of half and half. Yeah. Which is strange. It is a strange mm. combo. Because I was looking up, I think my favorite song on that is uh, I Do It All Again. Right, oh, thanks. And I'd written that before. I wrote right. that before. And I read that. I remember writing it. I guess that song to me was almost like a sort of 
call out to him or affirmation to myself. It was like, this is a really hard marriage. Um, I have spent a good proportion of this marriage in tears, wanting it to be less complicated than it is. Would you cry more than him? That's a good point, actually. I mean, I think we... It's almost like we both we both suffered because his, like, that thing of that self-loathing thing is a, a real thing when you, you know, you say you're not in your right mind or you're drunk or whatever it is, and you do things, and then you sort of look back at them and you're just, like, so regretful or disgusted and you beat yourself up and, you know, that's such a common sort of pattern for people and so I would see him in a lot of pain and then I would sort of be in a lot of pain myself and, and um, yeah, I think it was maybe maybe even amount of, even amount of pain because I, I didn't, wouldn't want to underplay his conscientiousness, you know, mm. you know, he really was a sort of person who like, wouldn't want to be rude to a taxi driver, wouldn't want to be rude to a waiter. You know, if we were having like a really posh dinner, something to the record label, and there'd be people serving us, he'd be like, oh, sit down, man, you know, like don't, you know, get involved. Like he'd always feel ri- like he was so uncomfortable with being served or, or the idea there was this hierarchy between mm. people. And so, yeah, he definitely sort of like deeply felt, but yeah, I think we both, we both kind of felt, felt off pain. But yeah, the, for me, the point of the song was like, Knowing what I know now, having been through all of this pain, I would still choose to do this relationship again because it's, it's, it's right. It just had this rightness to it that I couldn't explain that I always felt like this is right. You know, this is like foretold or whatever, you know. And I guess that's why another reason why Jason sort of dying was such a shock because I thought, well, I thought this was my, like, Destiny, you know. I thought it was like this was the plan. Yeah, this is the plan. But I guess everyone feels that everyone's got a plan. And when the plan stops, then you have, you know you have to make another plan. But you feel, you know, I used to say that thing of how the fairy story ends at like happily ever after, and it's like actually, you just because you have found the person that you love, and you know, doesn't necessarily mean it, it's going to be they're even going to be there, you know. It's a really hard thing about life, and can make it changes the way you sort of see everything. The fact that you don't know when someone's going to be like taking out the picture, it really changes things. Oh, you did it all again. You broke another skin. It's hard to believe this time. It's hard to believe that my.
did the sea feel like um, your life coming back into focus? Yeah, it did. And it felt like it was great to have a job. Like It was great to have something to do every day. I had to get dressed. I had to have a shower. Mm-hmm. had to talk to people. I had to go on stage, sing the songs. I loved think- singing the songs. They weren't hard for me to sing. I felt like it attracted a certain type of people in the audience. People would come up to me in shops and restaurants in the airport and tell me their story. And it was always like, oh, so sort of heartbreaking. And you realize how many people have been through just all different kinds of losses. What would you make of that when people came up to you and said, hey, this song, it, gets, it understands me. It understands my life. It, it made me feel really sort of connected to people and I liked it. It made me feel like it was a really sort of deep connection. You know, I remember being in a shop and I have no idea where it was. Um, it was like a kind of junk or vintage shop. It could have been New Orleans. It could have been in New York or something, but it was this couple and they had lost a child, you know, a grown-up child. And it was like they felt compelled to sort of tell me their story. And, you know, half of me was thinking, this is really heavy. I'm not necessarily qualified to to deal with this. And half of me was thinking, I am exactly qualified to deal with this. This is because I've had this experience and, you know, I'm an empathetic person and... So there'd always be these like insanely deep things that would happen like outside of a subway in an in an airport or something, and and I'd sort of think, yeah, this is this is life, all these sort of crazy combined, you know, these we're having this intense chat and we'll never see each other again. But I, I don't know, I sort of liked how it opened that side of me and and made people feel like they could speak to me in that way. Hmm. Did you have any concern about uh, since? There what was it, like four, four and a half years since your first album. There had mm. been some time passed, and you probably wanted the C to come out. You probably planned on it coming out, out sooner, yeah. But then life did what it was, you know, yeah. what it did. Yeah, I felt, I mean, I, I knew I wanted the C to be like an indie record, I knew I wanted it to be different to the first album, you know. I had spent a whole year with interviews saying, you used to be in this indie band and it was called Helen and now you've done this soulful music and what changed? It was like literally the most asked question. I remember saying, well, you know, we're doing, that this, bothered Le- you. We're doing this Led Zeppelin cover on tour and I was like trying to like show them. But, you know, the whole thing, I think, when you're an artist is like you're not doing the all of it all the time. You're doing a, you're doing a piece of you on this record and a piece on something else and a piece on something else and... There's loads of things that I want to do and there's loads of ways I want to make music and make sounds and write for film and write for contemporary dance and and do stuff that's really highly conceptual and kind of academic and and do stuff that's really playful and fun and do stuff that's really soulful and do stuff that's really kind of weird and not very songy and there's so much that I want to do, you know. And so I really felt with the sea. I was like, right, I'm going to get my electric guitar out. I'm mm-hmm. doing this as an indie thing. And I wasn't thinking, especially because of context, I wasn't thinking like, what if people don't like it? And and also the label were really cool as well because of the context. So they were just like, I don't think they heard the record till we were mixing the record. Um, but they were just really supportive and I really appreciated that. Did it also feel like a goodbye to a past love? It didn't because it was all still so like there and happening and I was still like I couldn't speak about Jason in the past tense even at that point like that took me sort of years to like say he was I like to say the past tense I just it was like this big mental block so 
Um, no, it, it very much felt like this is still happening, but I have to like get out of the house. Yeah, and you got out. Yeah. And the record did well. Yeah, I, I, I liked it. <laughs> yeah. What is that? You don't think it did as well as you... Well, I mean, I guess my first record did re- like sold loads, but I was really happy that the second record got this. Um, you know, the, we have this thing in the UK, the Mercury Prize, and mm. it's always been something that I really like. I admire. It's voted for by lots of, you know, artists and journalists, and it's a, you know, it's like a important sort of record prize, and and the re- the record was nominated for that, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad they get it. You know, so like, I'm really glad they get it. Is that been hard for you to work with like the first thing we're talking about like put your record on like yeah that blew up in ways that no one could have possibly predicted i i just feel like i'm really lucky with the sort of people that like me and i guess what i should say is the sort of people that still like me because it's been such a massive journey so i'll i will meet people who you know they're like i used to go to school listening to put your records on in my mum's car and then when I was falling in love, this particular same song came out. And then I went to college and then I met this guy and now we're, you know, having a baby. It's literally been like, you know, 10, 11 years. And they're all really long, arching stories. And I feel like the people who have sort of stayed with me, have, you know, gone through their own sort of complicated emotional journeys mm. just from being alive. So I think, you know, if it definitely, if it did start off as like being quite a sunshiny thing, which I think even on the first record, there's still some like painy things. Then I felt like, you know, life just kind of brings a more of an emotional complexity as you get older. And I felt like the people who still sort of come to the shows, they kind of get that. And I'm so grateful that I'm able to play, you know, I'm able to play Put Your Records On and I'm also able to play, you know, Are You Here or Diving for Hearts or I'd Do It All Again, you know. It it's it feels like it's all me and it's mm. like all the same but thing. But it's hitting different quadrants of, of music. Yeah, yeah, different quadrants of music, different experiences. and But the audience is there, you know, they're like, they are sort of getting it. They're not just like the arms folded. Like, when is the sunshine girl coming back? You know. So, so that's really good. It's it's good for me to feel like one whole person. After the sea and in between uh, the new record, I'm interested in how did you manage to fall in love again? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like I fell in love in this really slow sort of way because. Um, I fell in love with someone who I'd been friends with a really long time. And he was a producer on the sea, right? Yeah, he was a producer on the sea, exactly. So we were like, we're friends, maybe not super close, but kind of like, not even friends of friends. I'd just say we sort of knew each other, but, you know, we might, we never really arranged to see each other. We were bumping into each other at, like, parties or, you know, I obviously saw him a lot because we were working together. And then because we were working together on that project, he was one of my main friends who then had free time and um you know then we went on tour with the sea that was really good and when we got back from that tour which was like i don't know 2011 um we decided we'll build a studio together because i really liked his kind of techniques of how he worked and i had the space i wanted to use and 
I just found that I was finding a lot of reasons to spend time with this person, kind of like you do. And it's like, well, you know, you might as well come on this day. And then, mm. you know, and then we've got this, the soundproofing guy coming on this day, so you might as well just hang out for this day. And, and we just spent loads and loads of time together, and I was just sort of thinking... I mean, every time I've ever fallen in love, which I'd count as maybe twice in a massively deep way... And then once it's like my first kind of high school romance. <laughs> Every single time I've never known what it is. I've always been like, I really like this guy. He's my friend. He's wanna, around. He's around. We want to spend all our time together, but like we're not. There's nothing going on. Right. Like it was always a thing. I don't know if no. I don't know if I just didn't really know what love would feel like. But to me, in my experience, it just feels like wanting to spend loads of time with someone. So like. You can go and break, get breakfast. You can go and to a barbecue. You can go to the shops. You have to like do boring stuff, um, and they've got boring stuff to do. And you're like, yeah, I'll do some boring stuff with you. I'll Why go not? With. Why not? You're moving house. Well, I'll help you with the boxes Great. all day. Grocery because, shopping, fine. Exactly. And it's like you're doing all this really boring stuff, but it's kind of like, well, yeah, I'll help you instead of doing fun stuff on my own. Right. And then you realize, oh, the common denominator is like them. And once you've been with them all day, it's like you want to be with them all evening as mm -hmm. well. And so now I know that this is the thing. It's like you want to spend all this endless time with someone. But I didn't really know. So I was spending loads and loads of time. And I felt like it really crept up on me. But it was a really beautiful thing. And for me, it was so unexpected because I had sort of had in my head this thing like, you know, I've had this really good life and I've had this great marriage or this great person and that's fine and I've done that and I, now I just have to find a different way to be happy that doesn't involve marriage mm. and all of that sort of stuff. Did you think to yourself, I'm not going to be with anyone else? I just thought it wouldn't be possible because in my head still at that time, the perfect person was like Jason shaped. So I was like, how will anyone live up to this, you know, per person and I think that's the whole thing you know lots of people say did falling in love like help you get over that grief but to me they really have to be separate things because mm -hmm. if you're sort of meeting a new person saying like how much do they fit the outline of the other person of the last I, person yeah I just feel like work. it doesn't work and they never will because the outline is very specific but I think when you're starting to think well there's this is really this is an interesting person they've got characteristics I hadn't considered as feeling like I wanted and yet here I am wanting you know kindness and mm. you know honesty and yeah so that it was like a great surprise like a reawakening yeah exactly you said uh, for this record that for the two of you the album has taken over our lives but at the same time our lives have sort of taken over the album yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think that, um, you know, people say, oh, what's it like to work with your partner or whatever? But mu I just feel like music is so, it's such an obsessional thing for me, especially making records. I was saying, even if I was married to like a doctor or a plumber or whatever, I would be laying in bed saying, I just can't get the hi-hats right on that song the too fizzy or the too this or the groove is wrong maybe it's the wrong drummer I should have worked with this person maybe I can change it but this is the third person we've tried like I it becomes just such a big sort of part like part of my life and I think 
also the fact that we, you know, were finding not just kind of being in love, but just that thing of, you know, getting into listening to what's going on inside, getting into paying attention to your body. You know, I just started to go to Pilates and that was, I have this quite trippy Pilates teacher. It's not like pull in the core, try and be thin. It's more just like, I say to her, well, how am I doing? Have I improved? She's like, well, you know, it's all about what's happening emotionally and mentally. Mm. You know, you are a mind body. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Sounds like a supportive teacher. Yeah, yeah, she's really good. But it's the sort of thing, like, you'll do one sort of backwards bend and then just come up and be like floods of tears and not know why. Because there is loads of, like, you hold emotional pain in your body, don't you? Which is like, it's an obvious thing, but but, um, it took me a while. So I had a lot of, like... I am really tense because I have survived this really horrendous thing and I've needed to be super strong and now I'm so tense and my back and my jaw and my arms and my head is like braced for like any other crazy things that life can throw at me and it's been really good to kind of like put that down and move and realise you can be more responsive and Mm. um, so yeah I mean the record is quite a hippie record in that way but it is all about like how the heart speaks to you through your body and your emotions and excitement and and paying attention to dreams which just became this massive thing for me like well as I was processing you know grief and then new stuff just like what's going on in your dreams it just became this really big deal and you know how how um yeah just how important it is to quietening quieten the stuff around and listen to your inner voice and that's how I wrote all the songs they all just came through in this really kind of instinctive way and I would have to say like what is this song about and I would just have like one fragment or something so I mean it took a long time to write it like that but to me it was really important because you know after coming out of the sea and all of that grief I really was just like well I love making music but I don't know if I'm kind of strong enough or ready enough to like dive back in Mm. into that kind of world of you know like making commercial music and will people like it and liaising with the label and all of that so I just thought you know I have to find a way to do it in my own way and that you know doing that thing where it's like the heart speaks in whispers you have to listen to it you know push on for the door and that all made a lot of sense to me that was the only way I could do it anyway earlier at the top you talked about going back to Prince's place and watching this and I heard you talk about it on NPR um, there's an obsessiveness to you and to him clearly where he's trying to perfect music in a way Yeah, he wants to get better as a performer even though he was arguably at the top of yeah everything. he was doing pretty close yeah. he was doing pretty well if anyone's yeah. gonna do it you yeah. know him and Stevie or you know yeah. yeah is that you? Is that like your goal now in life is I need to be the best musician I possibly can be? I, if I had a choice, I'd like to be the best songwriter that I could be. If someone said to me, would you rather be a better singer or a better guitarist or a better songwriter? I'd say, please, can I be a better songwriter? You know, it's a, it's a real strong desire for me to write songs that, I can express myself in and also that I feel like other people can connect to you know when someone says oh we played your song at our wedding or you know my baby was born to this song or we played this at my dad's funeral or 
it's just amazing to me and I think I'm so glad the songs are useful and I want to make loads of songs and you know I want to make yeah I just want I want to be able to capture the emotions that I feel the impressions that I have the things I want to describe the feelings I want to be able to put them in songs it frustrates me that my lack of skill frustrates me you know I'd like to be better I'd like to be able to think of that melody that's going to be like capture the world's imagination and you know I love writing songs because there's a moment before you finish it and realize oh it's it's a song that I made where you're like this could be it this could be like mm. you know this like super song and then but I I love that process and I love trying to chase it down and I love making up things I find it so weird that at one moment something doesn't exist and then suddenly it does and it's a song and mm. people sing it to you when you go to South Korea and you know it's like that is amazing to me so yeah I would like to be a better songwriter I think I'll know I'll I know I'll never be a perfect musician I know I could practice harder on my guitar but every time I set my guitar all I want to do is write songs mm. and I don't really want to play scales <laughs> yeah you said maybe I'm lazy no I think it's okay <laughs> I think you're doing fine you said uh that's what I'm looking for in a song imagery to describe things in ways that are perfectly concise I'm constantly trying to find one hard one hard crystal thing yeah absolutely I mean and I think I was saying that like in reference to Carole King as well or all my favorite poets you know where you think sometimes they've strung together two words or three words and it's an entire sort of rich image and you can taste it and you can smell it you can see it it's like crystalline it's like forever you know or, or authors I remember um, in that Thomas Hardy book Tessa the Durbervilles I've, I've spoken about it before but there's so much I don't remember about that book but I do remember when they discover there's been a murder upstairs and they see a patch of blood on the ceiling which is a, a hand size just the way that it's described as a hand size and then it's sort of slowly spreads and they know like something has happened upstairs and I'll always remember that like hand sized like patch of blood on the ceiling more than I'll even remember like the main characters names to me that's amazing or I was talking to someone the other day about Bill Withers grandma's hands Uh it's two minutes long it's a song about hands this woman's hands and you know from the song how she was in church, that she was a contributor, that she was a leader, that she looked after people who weren't married, that she helped her own son not to discipline her grandson too much, that she was kind, uh, that she was like a joyous person, that she was a teacher. You know all this stuff from her because he's, he's just singing about her hands and you're just like, oh, how did he think of that? It's so perfect. It's such a perfect device and so I don't know there's sometimes ways to t- I like the idea of telling a huge story in a really small space of time mm. with not very many words you know what do you want to say now what do I want to say now well the next thing I want to do is this art project that I've been working on and it's specifically around this space in Chicago and it's very very sort of clear in my mind that's where I'm from Really? Mm-hmm. You're from Chicago? This place on the south side of Chicago, and it's called the Stony Island Arts Bank. It's run by Theaster Gates, who's this really amazing artist. And basically, you have sort of 
walked in there, looked around. It's got thousands of books in there. It's got sculpture and paintings and it has events and it has objects from sort of problematic times of American history. And when I left, all these things started speaking to me. And then I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing next. I'm sort of doing that next, which is different. But in general, what do I want to do? I just want to be write songs that's all I, and I want to play the songs I don't want to record the songs that's mm-hmm. all I want to do does the traveling now that you're traveling again um, is that okay is it too much I, I actually really like traveling I think I am someone who I like information you know I went to Australia for the first time and that was so weird to me because everyone looks like they're from the south of England so I know all these faces sort of ethnically I know what these people look like they're like my fellow countrymen but culturally it's so different to England so I had this culture shock that I wasn't expecting amongst like white English speaking people I was like I know these guys Mm. but Australia was so different you know to anywhere that I've been before um so that was really interesting I loved being in Sydney which was like it's a crazy beach town but it's like skyscrapers and it's really an international business city and then it's got this amazing Harbour and it's like all of those things at the same time. That was just a trip. It's like a kind of made-up city, like you know, almost like an ideal city for certain people. Um, Sydney was really cool. So yeah, I feel like when I'm going to new places, I'm learning stuff. When I'm going back to a place, I'm trying to deepen my understanding of it. And I just feel lucky that when I go places, people show up and come to the gigs. So. Yeah, I like traveling still. It's definitely tiring. Mm. You get a lot out of doing the gigs. And what I did on this run of shows is I met people from the audience and that gave me a lot of... It gave me a lot, you know. Mm. It's like filled me up tons. And the traveling takes it down a little bit, but mostly it's just like... I feel more energized than when I started off. I know we have to go. Okay. So I'm going to ask... You've come a long way from uh, the days where you thought there was nothing else ahead. And um, I guess I'm going to ask you, do you think you deserve happiness? I think everybody deserves happiness. I really do. And I think it's something that everyone can achieve. I think part of happiness is letting go of the expectations that you had about your life, you know. I think you can be a really unhappy person if you're constantly comparing where you are to like the dream life that you made up when you were 12 years old that you wrote down. You know, when you have these like people who say, well, I thought I'd be here by now, but I'm only here. And I don't know, I think realizing that life is this thing that we kind of get given and we don't know why we've got it. We're, we're just a baby and now we're just here and we won't have it forever and we don't know what it is. But... I don't know, there's loads of cool stuff like flowers, trees, music, friends, food. And that's great. <laughs> I don't know, it's like if you're lucky enough to have those things, that's the other thing you have to do with a life. Think about all the people that don't have those things. What can we do to change that? Uh, so I think, yeah, massive poverty will definitely get in the way of happiness, like worrying about your day-to-day survival. But, mm. yeah. So are you happy? I am happy, yeah. Yeah. 
It's good. It's lucky. I you're, might not always. I might have unhappy phases, but you're looking at me a little skeptical. <laughs> I'm like, are you happy? Yeah. No, I just feel. I guess what I feel is lucky, and that oh, I'm grateful, and that sort of makes me smiley. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Right. Special thanks this week to Sharon Lord and Kelsey Becker at Red Light for helping arrange this conversation of the podcast and for giving us the space to do it. Corinne will be on tour throughout the summer. She's playing the New Orleans Jazz Fest May 4th, the Wonder Ballroom in Portland June 7th, the Fillmore in San Francisco June 9th, and the Playboy Jazz Festival in LA June 10th. There are more dates stateside and in the UK at our website, www.corinnebaileyray.com. We'll include all of this in our show notes. And lastly, a big thanks to Corinne for the time, thoughts, and the music. If you're new to Talk Easy, we've done past episodes with other musicians like Esperanza Spalding, Mac DeMarco, Reggie Watts, Mind Design, and more. You can find all of those on our website at www.talkeasypod.com. Speaking of music, I'll be writing this in the newsletter, which I promise we're working out, but we're doing a spotlight series on Stone's Throw, the daring record label behind artists like Jay Dilla, Mad Lib, Mild High Club, and so many more. We'll dish out more info later this week on social media, but it's something I think we're all very proud of here on Talk Easy. I imagine you'll enjoy it too. As always, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever else you listen to your podcast. Our music this week is by Jin Sang and Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer. And the show is produced by Nora Knight. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? 
Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.